0: After an overwhelming week at work, Daniel decides to go on a nature hike to recharge. Without letting anyone know of his plans, he heads off into the mountains. And as he's enjoying the view and the peaceful quiet around him, he suddenly slips and tumbles off the edge of a cliff. And he plunges downwards but somehow manages to grasp onto a branch jutting out of the cliff face. And he clings onto the branch for dear life, trying not to look down at the ravine below. And as his life flashes before his eyes, he's struck by a disheartening thought. I'm alone. Nobody knows that I'm here. And I have no way of escaping. I'm going to die. And he begins to take stock of his life, thinking about the good times he's had and what he's managed to accomplish in his short existence. He thinks about his family and how much they're going to miss him. And just then, a rope suddenly soars past his head, hanging directly in front of him. After a moment's shock, he grabs the rope and holds on for dear life as someone on the other end begins to pull him up over the cliff edge. And as Daniel reaches the top, he's still gasping and amazed at the fact that he just survived. He immediately asks the man who saved him, How did you know that I was hanging off the edge of the cliff and I needed rescuing? How did you know? And the man stares back at him blankly and says, I didn't. This morning, I randomly decided to practice throwing ropes over cliff faces. Now, there are two reactions that Daniel can have to this series of events. He can recognize the miracle that just occurred, thanking God for sending him salvation when all hope seemed lost. Or he can laugh at the unlikely coincidence that this man decided to practice rope throwing the same exact day that he fell over a cliff face, thankful that he happened to get lucky this time. Now, this is the exact decision we face in every moment and aspect of life, and this theme runs throughout the entire perm story. So as we experience perm and our victory over Haman, let's delve deeper into the unique spiritual and existential battle that the Jewish people must continue to wage against the philosophy of Amalek. Amalek first appeared on the scene when they attacked the Jewish people in the desert on their journey to Har The most striking aspect of this attack was its timing. Hashem had just performed the makos and split the yamsu for the Jewish people, acts that had worldwide reverberations, and the Jewish people were viewed as invincible, untouchable. And exactly at this moment, Amalek chose to attack the Jewish people, undertaking a practically suicidal battle with zero provocation. So what was their motivation in undertaking such a mission? And this question can be extended to the Purim story as well. Haman, who was suddenly promoted to second-in-command, makes it his mission to wipe out the entire Jewish people. As a descendant of Amalek, he is clearly continuing their legacy of Jewish obliteration. But why is that? Why is it that throughout Jewish history, people have made it their singular focus to wipe out the Jewish people? And why is this the spiritual legacy of Amalek? So in order to answer this question, we have to first examine the fundamental principles of Jewish belief. The first fundamental principle of Jewish belief is that Hashem is the creator of the world. He is the source of time, space, and all of existence. And the second principle is that Hashem has a direct relationship with this physical world. This is the concept of Hashgacha, divine providence. The Hashem oversees and controls the events of this world. The third fundamental principle is that there is a purpose to this world and our lives within it. There is not a single aspect of life that is random. Rather, each and every occurrence and interaction is part of an infinitely beautiful grand plan, a cosmic symphony, a masterpiece designed by Hashem. And while Amalek does not tend to focus on the first of these principles, their entire existence is devoted towards destroying the second and third of these principles. Amalek claims that although Hashem may exist, he has absolutely no connection to us or this world. Our lives are therefore meaningless, and this world is devoid of spirituality. And this destructive conviction is embodied in the Passock describing Amalek's attack on the Jewish people. As we read in Parsha Zachor, we have to remember what Amalek did to us, Asher Korcha Baderach, how they happened upon us while we were traveling. And this word Korcha is peculiar, and Rashi therefore quotes three interpretations of this word, each fundamental and each significant. The first explanation of the word karcha is based on its connection to the word kara, happenstance. This interpretation reflects Amalek's claim that everything in this world is random and meaningless. There's no hashkacha, there's no divine providence. Anything that happens to you, whether good or bad, has no deeper meaning or significance behind it. Amalek implied that they just happened to be here with swords in hand, ready for battle. They simply chanced upon the Jewish people as they were on the way. And this is the exact approach that Haman took when plotting to kill the Jews. He didn't rationally calculate a date on which to kill the Jews. Rather, he specifically chose one through a poor, a lottery. lottery represents and embodies randomness and chance. Haman let the luck of the draw determine when he would kill the Jews. An act of devotion to kara, happenstance. And the gematria, the numerical value of a malik, is suffolk, doubt. A Malik represents doubt and uncertainty, randomness and chaos. Now the second interpretation offered by Rashi connects the word karcha to keri, a concept linked to marital impurity. Judaism views marriage as a lofty mitzvah. The relationship between husband and wife holds incredible spiritual potential. As a matter of fact, the Ramban explains that the relationship between man and wife ideally reflects the relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people. It's a relationship of spiritual and existential oneness, where potential is developed and actualized. Amalek, however, claims that marriage is no more than animalistic mating, a relationship devoid of higher meaning and spirituality. Perhaps the reason for this is rooted in Amalek's very conception. Amalek was the result of Aliphaz's relationship with his concubine, Timna. Unlike Jewish marriage, which is rooted in a devoted and loving commitment, A concubine reflects a purely physical relationship, lacking the spiritual components of true marriage. The very nature of Amalek's creation became their national ethos. Amalek has divorced the physical from the spiritual, viewing the physical as detached from any higher spiritual source. They claim that the physical urges of man are the ultimate motivation in this world, as there is nothing deeper to the world or human interaction than its physical facade and the name Amalik shares its root with the word malika, which is the process of removing the head from the body of a bird before it's offered as a sacrifice. The head is the highest part of the body, representing the mind and the spiritual. The body is the lower part, representing the physical. And ideally, the two are harmoniously connected, and the head, the spiritual, influences the outer expression of the body, the physical. Amalek attempts to disconnect the head from the body, to disconnect the spiritual from the physical, claiming that there's no spirituality within the physical world, there's no meaning or connection to Hashem or anything higher. Now Rashi's third explanation of the word karcha is based on a Midrash that relates the word to kor, cold. The midget describes the muscle of a boiling hot bath of water that nobody dares jump into for fear of being scalded. And along comes a man who boldly jumps into the boiling water, severely burning himself in the process. But although he burned himself, he has now cooled the water enough to allow others to follow suit and jump in as well. And this is what Amalek did as the Jewish people traveled from Egypt to Har Sinai. After Hashem performed the Ten Makos and took the Jewish people out of Egypt, Hashem's providence was flamingly clear in the world. The nations of the world were ready to accept Hashem and His Torah, and they began flocking towards Harsinai to join the Jewish people in accepting the Torah. And the Ramchal explains at the end of Deir HaShem that until the Torah was given, any nation could have joined Klai Yisrael. The Jewish people were at the height of their success, about to receive the Torah, and the other nations were ready to accept the Torah along with them. At this point, Amalek attacked the Jewish people, undertaking a nearly suicidal mission. And although the Jewish people won, Amalek showed the other nations that the Jews were not as invincible as they seemed. As Rashi explains, they jumped into the scolding bath, they attacked the Jewish people, and as a result, they cooled the waters. They showed the other nations that the Jewish people were vulnerable to attack. But why did Amalek do this? Why were they willing to burn themselves simply to weaken the Jewish people? It's because of the philosophy of Amalek. Amalek rejects Hashem's connection to this world, or any connection between the spiritual and the physical. Essentially, Amalek denies Hashem's control of this world and the ability for man to uplift himself to the level of the spiritual. Torah is the epitome of both of these principles and provides the guidelines for how to achieve this spiritual elevation. Torah is based on the axiom of Hashem's connection with this world. And it's also the means for elevating ourselves in all of physicality to a higher purpose. And Amalek stands in direct opposition to this. And when they saw that not only the Jewish people, but the entire world was ready to adopt the Torah way of life, they had no choice but to attack. Amalek's entire existence is predicated on a lack of connection between Hashem and this world, and therefore a complete acceptance of that principle by all the nations of the world would mean the cessation of Amalek's existence. So Amalek attacked the Jewish people in order to prevent Ma'an Torah, to stop the world from accepting Hashem's Torah and the truth that lies within it. And although Amalek was sorely beaten with only a few survivors, they still managed to slay a few Jewish warriors. They showed that the Jews were not invincible. They cooled down the excitement of all the nations of the world and paralyzed their readiness to accept the Torah. So Amalek won. Physically they lost, but in a deeper way they won. The nations of the world walked away, turning down the opportunity to accept Hashem and His Torah. And this is our spiritual battle. Amalek fights for a godless reality, devoid of spirituality and meaning, a world of haman, of doubt, where a gap exists between us and Hashem. Only when you look closer, deepening your gaze, do you see the deeper layer of reality, the transcendent root. Hashem is Echad, One, and our goal is to see the spiritual oneness inherent within every event and object in this world. Amalik seeks to hide the truth, to disconnect us from our source, and thus to strip all meaning from life but only when we see past the surface, when we trace everything that happens in this world back to Hashem, our spiritual source, will we ultimately defeat Amalek and all that they stand for.